welcome back to another episode of The Conversation. I am John Idarola and very shortly I'm going to be taking you through this first interview. But you're definitely gonna wanna stick around for the second half of the show because I will be transitioning out. Anna Kasparian will be back in studio and she will be conducting another interview, I believe with a candidate. Should be really awesome, you're gonna wanna see both. And of course afterward, we will have an episode of the post game as you would expect. But let's jump into our first conversation. We've got a congressional candidate running in New York's fifth district, Shania Chowdhury, welcome to the conversation. Hey, John, thank you for having me, I appreciate it. Great to have you here. This is the first time that we're talking and I like to get to know the candidate, know what you're bringing to this race. I believe that this is your first run, correct? Yes, it is definitely my first run. I, um, I come from a district where I am a working class American and I'm running because I'm just sick and tired of working people being left outside the democratic process. And this race is about dismantling an oppressive system and it requires to challenge those who enable it. And it all circles back to Gregory Meeks. Uh, and so there you're referencing uh, the, the current incumbent. So tell me, uh, in advance of the decision to run, especially to challenge a, a sitting Democrat, um, what, is, what is some of your experience in politics? Yeah, so I've actually interned uh, through the uh, New York State Assembly Internship Program where I was legislative aide in the New York State Assembly in Albany. I did that for the 2017 session. And then shortly afterwards, I actually was a staffer for Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez's campaign in 2018. And I volunteered for Tiffany Caban's district attorney race in Queens. And that's led me to where I am now. So um, that first candidate, you're gonna have to tell me, I'm not familiar. I'm kidding. Um, so uh, look, that I mean, that you're right in the sort of the center of uh, these insurgent candidacies in New York. Obviously, one successful, one very close. So uh, I'm curious, uh, being involved with both of those candidacies, what what are some of the takeaways uh, that you would bring that you're bringing both to your campaign, but also that you would bring to Congress? Yeah, I mean, what I learned throughout that process was that you should never be afraid to stand up for what you believe in, for what is right. Because we know that there's this democratic establishment who are going to be divisive and they're gonna say everything that they can to make sure that working families do not stand up, that do not are not being part of the democratic process because they have left us out for too long so they could continue to profit from corporations and Wall Street and to keep themselves in power. You know, I wanted to ask you about one of the quotes that I saw, and I believe it was one of the early interviews when you were launching your race. It was, we don't have to wait our turns. And one of the things that I've loved about some of these new freshman congresswomen, men too, it's almost all women, is that they're not interested in waiting, like biding their time, sitting in the back, you know, like they're, they're, they're passing legislation, they're doing protests in the halls of Congress. So tell me a little bit about that philosophy, about that, that not just sort of working your way up through the ladder the way it's always been done. Right, I mean, coming from a working class background, we've seen that the politicians who are supposed to represent us have been there for way too long and not enough people within the community actually know about them. I come from a district where the voter turnout is 2% Whoa. and 2% in Democratic primary. So it shows you that no one knows who Gregory Meeks is and our livelihood are, is actually in his hands where he actually sits on the subcommittee on the financial health services for consumer protection financial institutions. So while he's supposed to protect working families, he's actually receiving $2 million per cycle from Wall Street. And we can't afford and we can't trust politicians who are completely bought off by Wall Street. 
Okay, I definitely do have some questions I want to ask you about Gregory Meeks, but but I'm curious. I want people to know, you know, what sort of candidate you are. So, like, look ahead to let's say you you beat Meeks, you 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 get your your position in Congress eventually as well. What are some of the legislative efforts that you would want to be involved in in the future if you made it into Congress? Sure. So New York Five is predominantly Southeast Queens, Jamaica, the Rockaways, and even parts of Nassau County of Ballysham and Elmont. So we have Belmont, we have JFK Airport. And you know, if any district that needs Medicare for all, Green New Deal, Free Public Constitution, it is New York Five. However, that is the standard, that is the most basic requirement to be a progressive Democrat. And for me, I'm running to raise that standard. New York Five deserves a champion who will raise the bar. And as someone who, you know, again comes from a working class background, I feel like we need to recognize that us as a nation, we need to you know right our wrongs. And that means we need to break up big banks and have public banks in place while transitioning to a more pro-democratic, more pro-labor economy. And most of whom are immigrant communities actually participate in. So we need to protect them while doing that. We need to abolish the prison industrial complex and decriminalize and expunge low-level offenses while reparating communities like New York Five. And lastly, we need to have moral clarity in the face of adversity. That means standing up with our Jewish allies and fight for Palestinian rights, fight for Kashmiris. And we could do that all while fighting Islamophobia, fighting anti-Semitism, fighting xenophobia, and it's gonna require a collective effort. You know, it's interesting that you bring that up there because in the past, some candidates who aren't necessarily super strong progressives, but for a long time they're the best that we had. They might be good on some of these economic issues, but generally when it came to foreign policy, they either didn't prioritize it or might have been afraid to turn off some voters with controversial stances. Tell me a little bit more about your foreign policy. Yeah, so my foreign policy is based on a civic human rights standpoint. So. You know, us as a nation, we have infiltrated nations in Central America, in Africa, and in Asia, and we have completely demolished their their way of life. And I feel like as a country, as a government, we have yet to be accountable. And even for slavery, it's been more than 200 years, we have yet to be held accountable for our actions. So when we look at foreign policy specifically, we need to get out of Central America and let the people have the, the democracy that they want. We need to Look at the standpoint of Palestinian rights and see that it's a human rights issue. See that Israelis and Palestinians need to come together and come to a decision as to how they want to, you know, live on on shared land. However, we have to recognize that Palestinians have been displaced, and you know, the U.S. has played a huge role. Um, and we need to really change our relations with other corrupt governments, such as Saudi Arabia, such as Israel, such as Egypt, and make sure that the money that uh, we are giving them is not going to them anymore until they fix uh, the problems. So uh, I, I know we don't have a ton of time to focus on necessarily, but but the issues that you're talking about are in the news with the the launch of Donald Trump's uh, and Jared Kushner's uh, peace plan. Um, what, what's your initial take on um, some of the, the elements of that plan? It is not a real peace plan. Uh, you know, if if a peace plan that does not include Palestinian rights, that is not a peace plan at all. And we're continuing on the same oppression that we've seen for for more than a century now. And I think we need to have grassroots organizations who do fight for Palestinian rights, who do fight for Muslim rights, um, at the forefront of this. So I, I think it's just ridiculous, and it's not the best way to go about this at all. 
So now I do want to talk a little bit about the man currently holding the seat, Gregory Meeks, is the the current incumbent. And I thought it was interesting that you said earlier that you consider positions like supporting Medicare for all and the Green New Deal that that should be considered sort of like the the foundation or the base level. What's interesting about him is that that he actually does he has signed on to both Medicare for all and the Green New Deal. Generally, in the interviews that I do, that is not the case. And so, tell me a little bit about running against a candidate that you don't believe is the sort of progressive the district deserves, who has at least signed on to some of these plans. Right, yeah, I mean, he signs, there's a lot of politicians like Gregory Meeks who signed on to legislation because of the House leadership deciding that is the popular thing to do. And it's that it's under their order. And it's out of bad faith that they make these votes because they know at the end of the day that when you have a majority Republican Senate, that is not gonna go through. And when we we have to look at the deeper issue of that and see like where who is funding these politicians. So when you want to look at Gregory Meeks, even though he has signed on to Medicare for All, we have to look at uh, his current um, fundraising pact with um, with Colbert Kravis Roberts, who is an equity firm who are in the business of oil investing in oil and gas, also known as destroying our planet. They're also in the business of driving up healthcare costs for uninsured families. And lastly, they are in the business of displacing working families and stealing businesses from communities like in New York Five. So it's all in bad faith, and we know that the money is going to uh, is going to go into his pockets, and he's going to be lobbied by these groups to do their bidding. So when you know we have someone like Meeks, he likes to play politician by day, by day, and he wants to be mediocre lobbyist by night, and that's just how it is. So we need to take we need to end the corruption and it stops here. It stops with it stops with us with our organizers, stops for supporters, and we're gonna take this to DC. You know, one thing that I find interesting is that you have this past experience working for candidates like, or at that point, candidates like Alexandria Ocasio Cortez, and obviously you learned quite a bit from that. But I'm curious, did her win in that area? Has that sort of put on notice some other incumbent Democrats? Like, do you get the impression that Gregory Meeks is approaching primary challenges maybe a little bit more seriously than he might have if AOC had not recently won? Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's given a surge of, of a lot of grassroots organizers and people who have never been involved in the Democratic process before because that we have real people who are being elected to office that reflects the current needs of working families. And this is the real representation. So people are aware. And politicians, corrupt politicians like Gregory Meeks are aware that his time is up. So I know you recently got a pretty significant endorsement. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, so not am I only endorsed by brand new Congress, but I was recently endorsed by Marion Williamson, who you know was recently the you know Democratic candidate for president. And you know we're looking to do great things with her and do a lot of things within the district and get a lot of people involved and see that they could be a part of this and that they have a stake in this. And if people want to find out more about your candidacy and your platform, where are some places they can find out about that? For sure, we are actually tuning into more of the petition phase now within three weeks, so we do need volunteers. So please visit www.shanyat2020.com, and you know you can email us at info@shan2020.com. Please come and volunteer. Our filing deadline for the FEC for this quarter is approaching tomorrow night at midnight. So please donate. We need all the help that we can get. Hey, Shania, thank you so much for joining us. Really appreciate getting a chance to get to know you a little bit better. Thank you, John. You have a good one. You too. And we here at The Conversation are gonna take a short break. But in just a few minutes, Anna Kasparian is gonna be back in here for talk with another candidate. You're not gonna wanna miss it. We'll see you in just a few.
Welcome back to The Conversation, I'm Anna Kasparian. And joining us now is Frances Yasmin Motiwala. She is a US congressional candidate in California's 34th district. As a Californian myself, a native to California, I'm excited to speak with you. Thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. Good to see you, Anna. Good to see you. Looking through your platform and what your campaign represents, I'm definitely intrigued by it. You have a lot of progressive policies and views, especially when it comes to foreign policy. But I do want to talk a little bit about some of the issues that impact this particular district, California's 34th. You write that California's 34th has some of the poorest neighborhoods in the country. In Westlake, just north of downtown, the average per capita income is $15,722, half the national average. More than one in every 60 people in my district lives on the street. Some of our schools have dropout rates as high as 40%. And our neighbors in Boyle Heights and East Los Angeles have been waiting for years for someone to clean up the toxic lead poisoning their yards. So I'm very aware of these issues. And you know, the homeless population has really exploded in Los Angeles over the last few years. So what is your proposal to combat these complex issues? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, well, first off, I, I want to say that I, as much as foreign policy is separate from uh, some of these issues that are immediately in front of us here on the ground here at home, um, I think it is important to remember that the cost of the wars overseas are directly siphoning money off that we need to fund our schools and uh, pay for um infrastructure repairs and um, create the kind of even housing supply, affordable housing supply that we need. So many policies at the national level uh, that we have the capacity to pass would have a direct correlation to reducing uh, homelessness. Mm -hmm. And uh, that includes uh, passing Medicare for all, uh, a real plan, because uh, many folks uh, live on the street because they ended up you know, going bankrupt after a medical bill that they couldn't afford. Uh, also, um, support for queer youth who are getting kicked out of homes, their homes, uh, potentially because of uh, coming out. And that's important that we have services for um, uh, queer youth and uh, folks who may be experiencing also um, domestic abuse or having to leave their ho- an unsafe home environment. Uh, we need to. Um, you know, I, I mentioned um, the fact that foreign wars um, and our overseas adventures are uh, siphoning up off a lot of money that we need, um, but they're also producing vets uh, who have not been rehumanized and reintegrated into society in a uh, complete way. Uh, clearly, since 25% of the homeless population uh, have served in, in uh, our military mm-hmm. um, as well. Um, criminal justice reform uh, is another huge um, uh, critical um, uh, piece of the system that we need to uh, really reform. When folks leave jail, they're often uh, have a difficult time finding employment and housing. Mm-hmm. And we just gotta we gotta shift that. This is um, you know leading to the crisis that we find, and the crisis you know affects all of us. Um, you know I know that it's a big concern amongst all of uh, my community, even those who are housed. You know it's um, something we all want to find a solution to, and it needs to have happened yesterday. So yeah, um, yeah, I, I, yeah. I mean, look, I. I think that you're absolutely right on the issues. 
However, what you want to fight against um, unfortunately has a lot of uh, powerful people and money behind it. And so I think that you make a really good point about how our involvement in these endless wars is impacting our domestic policy by ripping away incredibly important resources that our people need, right? So. How do you fight back? What is your theory of change? How do you fight back against the military industrial complex? Very powerful, very well resourced. How do you fight back against members of your own party, Democrats, who are certainly corrupt themselves and they fight to protect the current system that we're living under? How do you do it? Yeah, well, it's important to realize this is not a new battle. Uh, this has been going on uh, for decades and decades. Um, I came from from 11 years of organizing with a nonprofit peace action. Mm -hmm. And it, uh, I learned a lot about how even as individuals without a ton of resources and money, uh, we can employ a whole, um, you know, um, a whole suite of organizing strategies to actually impact um, the the pressure points uh, and make change. And a lot of that is face-to-face -face grassroots organizing, having one-on-one -on -one conversations uh, with uh, citizens who often just don't recognize their own power to make change. People don't realize that they could pick up the phone and call their representative and two senators and even the White House mm -hmm. um, and leave a message. And they could you know, write a letter, email well, them, know, it's, go it's, visit them. It's mm -hmm. so interesting because I, I think you're right. I'm, I'm not sure how effective writing a letter or, or making mm -hmm. a phone call is, but we see how effective political activism is on the right, especially when it comes to Donald Trump. Now, Donald Trump's theory of change, I don't think he would refer to it as a theory of change. I don't think he really thought about it at all. But his supporters are so vociferous that even Republican lawmakers who clearly disagree with him on issues will vote along with him. Or in the case of the Senate impeachment trial, they'll go ahead and cover up Donald Trump's crimes because they know that if they don't do so, the people who support him will put the, their political careers on the line. And so I think that that's a really interesting way of empowering people to push for change. Unfortunately, on the right, it's being used for nefarious purposes. But I think that we need to empower people on the left. And so how do you do that? I love the grassroots organizing that you've done. I think that that's incredibly important perspective and experience to bring to the table. But what's the best way to mobilize people on the left? Yeah, well, so, and you mentioned earlier also that part of my struggle is is challenging the people within my own, within the Democratic Party, within my mm -hmm. own party, um, who have also been, you know, allowing, it seems to, or not standing up forcefully enough to uh, this administration and previous administrations like the George W. Bush administration. Um, and so, you know, I think that, you know, this has become a big, um, you know, the two parties have risen in power and we're in a system where um, that's sort of the choices that we have. And I do believe that the Democratic Party as a whole uh, shares values that um, that I think, you know, that I align with. And I believe that parties are important and organizing is important. Um, but as we see is that there's politicians from both political parties who have uh, accepted campaign money 
uh, and filled their coffers and are continuously taking money from industries that um, clearly are benefiting from a system that's uh, tilted in their favor. Um, so I think that across, uh, you know, Republicans and Democrats should be running. Uh, we need Republicans and Democrats to run who are uh, willing to both not accept the corporate PAC money and then do the kind of organizing it takes to actually compete in the system. So that is the big challenge. It's a big challenge I face is that um, my, you know, the incumbent in my race has $800,000 in the bank. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, uh, you know, I'm doing <laughs> moderately well in fundraising. I really need uh, everyone to, uh, to, you know, use a mass movement of people pitching in uh, to really help me challenge uh, the establishment in this race. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know that with just enough resources that I actually be able to run a ground game and do the kind of face-to-face organizing that can really shift uh, this, that can, that can, I can win this seat, you know? Definitely, um, so if, if yeah. anyone in our audience is interested in learning more about the campaign and donating, uh, you can just check out that link. Uh, we have it written down below, fym2020.com, fym 2020.com, and then on the screen you see uh, the various URLs to go to if you're interested in donating and volunteering. Um, So one final question for you, because you did mention how well-resourced the uh, incumbent Democrat is. Uh, Now, part of the reason why he's well-resourced is because there is, uh, you know, DCCC support, DNC support. Um, So. Has there been any response to your campaign by the Democratic establishment in any way? Um, well, obviously, I'm um, a the the DCCC blacklist. Um, you know, does mean that there are consultants that wouldn't uh, work with me, but um, there are. Uh, you know. <laughs> uh, I will say I'm not too focused on what they are are not providing. Uh, my vision and my goal is to actually use this opportunity as a candidate to do intersectional organizing in a, a really powerful way here in Los Angeles, where there's incredible organizers and groups working on uh, solutions to the problems we face. Um, my goal is to build uh, constructive relationships and with those organizations and leaders in our community. Uh, so on day one of my administration, we can work together to move policy mm-hmm. um, and and do it without, you know, um, the backing of, you know, the, the well-funded uh, establishment and, and whatnot. So I love that. Yeah. So uh, for our audience members, please check out uh, more information about Francis's campaign uh, and donate if you can go to fym2020.com. FYM2020.com. Francis, thank you so much for taking the time to share your information about your race with us. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. All right, thanks for watching the conversation. The post game is next.